This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it, and in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome back to the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, fresh off a trip to Canton, Ohio for Hall of Fame weekend, and I am joined once again by Nick Stevens. Nick? I feel bonafide. My name's in the intro and I know, everything I noticed now. that. I, I noticed that. Yeah. I, I, I thought that... Extra excited. ...gives you a level of credibility and... Um, swag that it, you hadn't had before i just went from like the other guy on the podcast <laughs> to and now nick stevens hey kev we should have had him cut it we should have had him cut his own name he could be the voice of god yep he could, could be a little be. weird a lot going on this week but we have to start of course with cutler mania can i just say also walking in here today for the recording this podcast now we are t-minus 30 days away from the kickoff as we record yeah on this particular tuesday I had a chance to walk by a couple of members of the Jacksonville Jaguars as they are participating in the joint practices with the Patriots. They are here. Yeah. Uh, two things struck me. Number one, wow, NFL players. just You need to spend more time around them in person to understand what freaks of nature, the, the anomalous massiveness of these guys. Just And all just laughing and smiling, and I'm just staring at them thinking, my word, Wow. Uh, looks like a sick, looks like a hell of a football team to me. I was worried actually that you were going to try something on Tom Coughlin probably, no. and make a run at. I didn't the, the ex giant. I'd have a hard time. Head coach. I know. I just keep just keep keep me away from the following people in this lifetime: Eli Manning, Tom, David Tyree, and Bernard Pollard, and Tom Coughlin. And no, I got respect for Tom. Well, Coughlin, of course you though. do. BC but, Eagles, but and he's a great coach. He ruined two Super Bowl nah, Sundays well, for you. Uh, Dave, well. A few other people did. I, yeah. I was. I don't. I. I don't hate. I congratulate. All right. Uh, cool. And also, I, I walked by a couple members of the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, video crew who were discussing being in the area, and one of them said out loud, uh, "I think my favorite thing I've heard all week is, uh, yeah, let me call an Uber." <laughs> they were just bathing in the joy of the Boston accent. Well, one of the things I think people love about the NFL is how dramatically things can change overnight. Think about this: if last Tuesday during the podcast, I would have said, what do you think about Jay Cutler being the starter this year in Miami? <laughs> and that's how quickly this league rolls over. We went from Tannehill mm-hmm. hurt on a non-contact play, seemingly just your basic innocent rollout, um, pretty much now all but certain to undergo season-ending surgery on that left knee that he suffered a partially torn ACL last December. And frankly, He may have taken his last snap as a Dolphin, let's Mm -hmm. be honest. I mean, he may not come back from this with that twice-injured knee uh, as the man for the future in Miami. His contract is about a $20 million cap number. They can get out of it. So suddenly you look up, and it's very much like the Minnesota situation last year. You've got a completely unexpected starter, not Sam Bradford this time, but it's Jay Cutler. And then you've got your heir apparent franchise quarterback that you thought was going to be there forever and now his future is in question 
I did not think Jay Cutler was the optimum uh, quarterback available to me. He's a pretty mediocre quarterback. He is consistently inconsistent. I like to think of him as emotionally disinterested Jeff George. <laughs> That's a good analogy. He's got a lot of Jeff George in him. Um, but Emo Jeff George. I do understand Adam Gase, the Dolphins head coach, reaching for the familiar, reaching for someone who doesn't gonna, isn't going to have a learning curve to, to speak of, and understanding that time is relatively short uh, before week one. And that's where Cutler's experience in Chicago in 2015 with Gase make, made all the sense. Two things jump out here. One regarding Tannehill is when the ACL was partially torn last year, full well understanding the intensity of the quarterback position in the NFL today, and also that he likes to roll out and is a rather mobile quarterback who has beaten some teams with some surprise 5, 10, and 20-yard sprints and rollouts, why not just get it taken care of then? Why, why, why leave something like a partially torn ACL for a mobile quarterback in the NFL to chance? Because as innocuous as that play looked, now he's That's done. And took. not only could it take out the Dolphins for the season, but it could help him be supplanted by Cutler and then insert name of, you know, mid-level first-round quarterback. And there's a first, great right. quarterback class exactly. next year. There's, sorry, Tannehill, but there are not a lot of, you know, athletically gifted, converted wide receiver to quarterback prospects next year. There are some legit bonafide blue chippers It's a really year. harsh reality that, choice. that he faces. It, it was a bad choice. I, was I, a bad choice I get overall. it in that they rolled the dice because he wouldn't have just been back from an ACL in mm-hmm. time to play. So it would have cost him part a good part, if not all, of 2017. In fact, in some ways— Investing in his own future, though. Yeah. I, I think I think it was a roll of the dice that went badly, and in retrospect, it's easy to say they should have gotten it done. Um, right. But he had no good options. He was either going to lose a good chunk of 2017, and who knows, the Dolphins would have had to start somebody this year. Maybe Matt Moore takes the job and holds on to it. Maybe they go out and get a Jay Cutler anyway. Um, It kind of accelerated the timetable. But he gambled, he lost, and his future is very much in doubt. How do you think Cutler in Miami is going to do? Because I see 8-8, I see 8-8, 9-7. Well, I have to give a little bit of a tip of the cap to the Dolphins in that unlike last year when Bridgewater went down, they didn't have to mortgage any part of their future to get him because of the familiarity you spoke with with Adam Gase and Jay Cutler from a reasonably productive 2015 season. I mean, after all, Adam Gase did work with Peyton Manning for a while. He got that out of Cutler, so you think, well, this guy could be a little bit of a QB whisperer. Now, bringing him in with only a couple of weeks to go, there's offensive talent in Miami, but I mean, the ceiling for them was already, I think, in the eyes of most prognosticators and fans, 9-7, and 10-6. and six. I don't see whatever your war or whatever your, like, your, your car cutler of replacement is for this guy coming in. I don't see him magically just like, and finally someone is able to supplant the Patriots as the beast of the East. I don't. I mean, they should have hat and t-shirt day in Foxborough now, for God's sakes, and save, just get focused on the postseason. Um I, not, yeah, t- ten and six in a best case scenario. Cutler's numbers in 2015 were comparable to what Tannehill was building towards last right. year before the partially torn ACL. I don't see him walking in the door. Here's another factor I want: good receivers in Miami. Good receivers. I want to get this on record. Matt Moore is wildly popular in his own locker room. In other mm-hmm. words, and there were a number of guys very public right off the bat after the Tannehill injury, saying we got our guy. Um, 
Matt Moore is well-liked. He's respected. He's actually played very well in spurts in his career when he's taken over for an injured starter. I wonder, if Cutler doesn't nail it, are you going to get a little bit of, of a, what's that word, schism, we, we like to say in a locker room once in a while, where there'll be some guys saying we should have stuck with Matt Moore. He's more uh, um, adept at this system. And it's more. a big roll of the dice it for is. Gase. It is. I mean, Cutler's got to play very well, I think, to take the Matt Moore um, support and make it completely disappear. And I'm not convinced he's going to do that right off the bat. If I'm the offensive line of the Miami Dolphins, my job just got that much harder because Matt Moore, I believe, is older or as old as Cutler, but Cutler is not as mobile as Matt Moore is. So now they're going to have to buy him that much more time. Granted, he does sort of know the system already, but they're going to have to buy him that much more time. It's a big risk for Gase because if Matt Moore is that much more popular, then that's the way that his team wanted to go. Maybe they could have ridden the emotional wave of the backup, you know, the old sack up with the backup mentality. <laughs> uh, but you got to remember, there's a, probably a reason why Matt Moore has always been a backup. I agree. I think the more you play him, the more a backup always. Did you uh, mean that with two O's? Or? Ex- absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Capital M, two O's, R-E. I think the more you play him, the more you understand a backup plays their way uh, to number two status. But... He has played pretty well for a number in a number of situations, and I think there. Let's not forget, he did start the playoff game last year and played mm-hmm. decently until he got his knocked into uh, next Tuesday. Je- on, I think on that it was hit. somewhere between next Tuesday and Oblivion. Yeah, was, I I, I, st- I still feel that. I do. I still too. feel that hit when I think about it. Where Jay Cutler has been a gift to the NFL, though, has been on social media because, I mean, if you enjoy. And none of us are above this particular fray, but if you enjoy cheap shots, memes, lols, and sweet tweets, then... He's a godsend. Oh, just Cutler. It's almost like the Trump bump. Cutler brings in his own level of hilarity to social media. And if nobody, if anyone in the sound of our voice has never done this before, just go to Twitter or Google and type in Smoking Jay Cutler. That's all. And just there. You're welcome. I've heard, I've heard about this one. That's, I have to admit, I was late to uh, the party on the... Mexico balcony shot. Uh, I did not know about that I'll one. I'll take things I wish I never saw for six hundred. Exactly. Alex. I cannot now unsee that. It's Jay on a balcony in his, you know, his altogether from the backside. Uh, his lovely wife took the shot early one morning when they were on a romantic getaway to Mexico. Thanks for sharing. But Jay actually like thumbs up putting it on the internet, yeah. which just makes me question his Now, judgment. if I'm the Dolphins and I want to just let him know, like, okay, we're going to be a loose locker room, we're going to have fun together, for his first practice in the locker room at his locker, I have a three foot by six foot of that blown up right there at Absolutely. the locker. And then just have a laugh, get it out there, we all understand, just keep on going, because obviously... I don't know, if he plays well, you have to leave it there, I think. It's oh, a sure. superstitious thing. <laughs> you know, he just drags it out for Wednesday pressers right. and puts it right next to it. can make it him. like the cardboard cutout in Major League of the evil owner. All right, well, I spent three-plus days in Canton over the weekend. How was the trip? Um, you know, it was fairly productive. I actually, I have to admit, for a Hall of Fame game, the first quarter, or... Actually, the first half was reasonably watchable. Uh, now it was Blaine Gabbert versus Kellen Moore, and Gabbert actually lit it up, which take that with the grain of salt that you should. Oh, lit it up. But <laughs> he looked like an NFL quarterback that night. So I thought, wow, by Hall of Fame standards, this is one of the greatest greatest Hall of Fame games of all time because it looked fairly end-to-end action, back and forth, 
fairly competitive. Uh, how much of it did you watch? I watched. The first I was half. being paid. I watched the first. It, sure, you were being paid. You're being under professional compensation. I'm at home killing time, doing a little bookkeeping and whatever else, and I just throw it on because it's football. And what was interesting to see was apparently a lot of other people were doing their whatnots and late summer tidbits and decided to just, quote, throw it on because it's your first taste of football. It outrated every game of the Stanley Cup Finals. The Hall of Fame game. Kellen, you know, Moore versus Gabbert. And that was this like time basically it that, this time. It this, time still, it this time count. it still doesn't count. <laughs> and that's still outrated everything else all summer long. It's unbelievable. Yeah. The power of the NFL. All right, now skipping ahead. Yeah, game to, aside, the speeches and the fanfare and everything else. You know, it's 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 a much bigger event than the last time I had been mm-hmm. in Canton, which was actually 17 years earlier, 2000, when Montana went in. I covered that one, and you know, generally I'm on a camp tour at this at this time of year. But it was it was kind of nice. I thought. Now let's be honest, the speeches go on way too long, but there were some nice moments. I enjoyed. LT's call for unity. So how long are we going here? <laughs> exactly. 30, what was it? Jerry went. Jerry Jones went something like 33, 34 minutes. I think the shortest one was Morton Anderson, who was actually the most entertaining. And I he thought went, Morton, Anderson was, Morton he, Anderson was great. He was great, and I knew he would be because mm-hmm. he was really always very uh, fun and entertaining when he was um, an active kicker for 25 years in this league. But the shortest was almost 20 minutes. They've got to do something about that. I I was clean-shaven when I got there. By the time I left, mm-hmm. uh, I had like a serious past midnight shadow on my face. It's 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 ridiculous. I understand they've got to be able to thank everybody, but wrap it up. I mean, do if something. If your speech goes longer than the most recent presidential inauguration speech, you know you have embellished your Hall of Fame acceptance. I want to as a fan what I want to hear is I want to hear some stories of accomplishment, a little bit of your personal an- ancestry, and maybe an anecdote or two that I, as a non-recorder and notepad-carrying football consumer, non-reporter, have have never gotten before. So, And if you can keep it to between 10 and 15, that yeah. seems like the perfect digestible length. But LT came in at 26, Jerry Jones over 30. I don't know. I mean, there were some powerful moments in LT's speech. I love everything Jason Taylor had to say. Great humility. But at that point now, I think they're getting it. They're embellishing a little bit. They're getting a little. It's going a little far. I have a low threshold for the self-glorification factor of Hall of Fame weekends. And I don't think it happens over the top anywhere as bad as it does in the NFL. Baseball, it's a kind of tame ceremony compared to what the NFL does. Shocking that the league would go over the top on anything. I just think, you know, less is more, and you're going to get people um, to not tune out. I mean, there was that stadium was mostly empty by the time Kurt Warner took the seventh and final uh, podium sp- speech. And, and that's, that's not a fair little, to Kurt that's Warner. That's not fair. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, you should get as much enthusiasm as the guy who led off, which happened to be Kenny Easley, the Seahawks' safety. I mean, it, the speeches for Easley and Terrell Davis literally lasted half as long as their careers did. They both mm-hmm. only played seven right. years, and both of them went, spoke for about three and a half years. So that, that's, that's just overkill, and, I, and it kind of taints the whole experience. But big picture, I thought for Hall of Fame speeches, I thought there were some nice moments. I liked one moment I really thought was cool. Kurt Warner acknowledging the twist of fate with Trent Trent Green in 1999. Green was supposed to be the starter. It was really his first big shot. He blows out the knee in the late, late in the preseason. 
unknown Kurt Warner gets his shot. The rest is history. He made sure to say, Kurt, who he had invited there, I know how easily you could be standing up here. It could have been me, Hurt, and you uh, going to the Hall of Fame. That was a cool moment. The other cool moment, Jerry Jones kind of finally admitting that uh, Jimmy Johnson had quite a bit to do with the Cowboys' uh, Super Bowl early 90 dominance. Yeah, he may and, want a mulligan on that one. And him being in Canton. I thought that was – Jerry did it as only Jerry could. He said, when Jimmy screwed up and we parted ways, and then he just went silent and waited for the crowd – uh, to get the joke, and it was his way of saying when I screwed up and let Jimmy go and, and broke up our successful marriage. That was kind of a nice moment, I thought, for Jerry. Did you ever read Boys Will Be Boys, Jeff Perlman's book about the Cowboys? I have not. Fantastic read. Cannot, in terms of a sports book, let alone an oral history football book, Great read that that team kind of a ball years, a ball four of uh, the NFL. It's well, he also Jeff Perlman also wrote. The bad guys won the story of the 1986 Mets, which is just another. These uh, I, I'm a sucker for great oral histories. I read them on movies all the time, live tip, from New York. Tip of the hat to Don Baylor, by the way, 86 yes. Red Sox. Rest in, RDH. Rest in pitches that bonked off of you for years, Don. Great Red Sox, great great player, great manager. Uh, great. It's a fantastic read. It's so fun. Just th- those locker rooms, everything, anything you could imagine in the rock star life went on behind the scenes. Oh, those early – and the, 90s the mayhem Cowboys. of the late 80s and early 90s Cowboys. The White House. Uh, yeah. Plates of cocaine and the women <laughs> and the just. And Char- I mean, Charles Haley, the only other five-time Super Bowl winner, huge fan. If for nothing else than wh- how he used to conduct himself in meeting rooms. Just- quick, quick, great story. I ran into, actually, Barry Switzer was back for Hall of Fame weekend for yeah. Jerry. And I ran into him. He happened to be staying at the same hotel I was at. And... Um, Saw him two nights in a row, totally holding court mm-hmm. in the hotel bar late at night. Switzer. Uh, Switzer. And he is as funny as ever. He is as crazy as ever. Um, but Personality he w- to spare, right? He was completely um, completely holding the room, as they say, uh, telling stories from Oklahoma, telling stories from the Cowboys. Um, he is uh, still very entertaining, very approachable. One of the cool things I was able to do on Friday, um, NBC had an availability uh, for Sunday Night Football because they they actually had a nice a little honor bestowed them. Um, the Hall of Fame put together an exhibit, a display on Sunday Night Football being, mm-hmm. I believe, the highest rated program on television now for six years running. And uh, Chris Collinsworth, Al Michaels, Michelle Tafoya, Dick Ebersol, Fred Gadelli, they were all there to cut a ribbon for this display in the Hall of Fame right inside the actual museum. I was able to get Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels to look ahead one month um, to September 7th, Kansas City at New England, the NFL opener. Uh, they will be calling that game for NBC. They also have the Super Bowl this year in Minneapolis. So they're going to book end this NFL 2017 season. And we got a little chance to interview both men, and we're going to drop them into our Cover 2 podcast right now. It's me talking to Chris Collinsworth about the September 7th Chiefs-Pats opener. Cover 2 podcast back in Canton, now joined by NBC's Chris Collinsworth. This looks like the quintessential perfect matchup, two playoff teams on September 7th. Anyway, Chiefs-Pats doesn't live up to the billing from, from a, less, a day less than five weeks out? You know, I, I think the show right now is really about the Patriots. I mean... I'm still recovering from that Super Bowl. I, I, you know, 
I, I've just never seen anything like that. And I was in the stadium, and we weren't calling the game. And the, I can remember the Falcons fans taking celebratory pictures in the third quarter, like, you know, getting groups of people and hugging and mugging, you know, with the field behind while the game is going on and knowing exactly what they're thinking and what everybody was thinking, that this thing's over. And all of a sudden, here it comes, you know. And if you've been around the Patriots and you've been around Brady and Belichick, you go, yeah, I don't think this is going to happen, but yeah, I, I can't discount it. I wouldn't be celebrating just yet, you know. Uh, and the number of things that went right at the end of that game, it was just so remarkable. So now you go, okay, are they better than what they were? I on, mean, on paper. On paper, you've got to say they're better than what they were, you know, to add Cooks and, and uh, add Gilmore and, and to not lose Butler. I think they're better. Um, a million things can happen, but the, the the speed element and the second corner for that defense makes it a little bit intimidating now as you start to look. And one thing I've learned about the NFL is when you think you know something, you really don't know anything. So I'm almost feeling a little too confident about what's going on in New England to go, all right, wait a minute, what am I not thinking about, right? You know, and that's then you start looking at Oakland and you start looking at some of these other teams. They're good teams, but clearly the Patriots are still the team to beat. Interesting late offseason. As absurd as it sounds to talk about a 16-0, given that they do look better on paper, it's not, it's not the most ridiculous topic we've ever come up with to, to chew over in the preseason. Yeah, especially with that coach. And that quarterback. And that history. And that owner. And that history. And, and I, I shouldn't even approach this. Belichick's going to choke me when he sees me. But somewhere in the back of their minds, the most remarkable season that any of us have ever seen was a minute or so away from being 19-0, and right? And as competitive as those three main players are, it is, you know it's somewhere in the back of their mind. Now, they'll never talk about it. They'll never admit it. And they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. And it's impossible to do. And nobody's ever going undefeated. But if anybody could, you're looking at the bunch that would have that chance. And so it does make it intriguing until they get beat. How are you, buddy? What's going on? Good to see you, man. And hey, Peter. They, um, so that, that's compelling stuff, right? That's compelling. Uh, and as all the shows that, that we've ever been a part of, um, to, to see a streak like that come out of the Patriots this year, that would be pretty good stuff right there, especially with us having a Super Bowl. We'd be okay with an undefeated team going in there. Kansas City had a weird late offseason. Does anything about the Macklin move, the Dorsey move, the, the possibility, although I don't think it's likely, that Alex Smith plays looking over his shoulder concern you? You know, I was, when I played, I, I had a, another wide receiver drafted, I, I want to say in 85. And I was like, great, Eddie Brown, fantastic. We have some balance now. Then they drafted another wide receiver in the first round in 86. And I said, okay, they're sending me a message now. And I had one of my best years that I ever had. I have a little feeling that Alex Smith is going to have a little chip on his shoulder. You know, he hasn't been the worst quarterback in the world. 
He's got some between Kelsey and Tyree Kill, and there's some weapons on that team. And so, and that team won 12 games. They won a really tough division last year um, and, and came up in the clutch. So, you know, it, I, I think Belichick is probably sitting there saying right now, if all you guys keep talking about undefeated seasons and the Kansas City Chiefs come in here and do what they're capable of doing, which is knocking us off on opening day or opening night, you know, we're all going to feel pretty stupid. So he'll have a way of uh, keeping that knife pretty sharp, you know, on them going into the season. And they're a legitimate threat. They're a legitimate team. Andy Reid's done a remarkable job there. We thank Chris Collinsworth for his time in Canton. Nick, I love Chris Collinsworth. I don't know why. There's a lot of fans who absolutely uh, can't stand him. I think he's one of the smartest guys on TV when it comes to NFL football. I think he's the best color analyst in football, period. Uh, I, it's a lot I've been of Tim a fan Ma- for years. A lot I think- of Tim McCarver. For, see, he, to me, he's the NFL Tim McCarver. I like Tim McCarver. And that he's polarizing? Or he's is polarizing. It draw, I or? can listen to Tim McCarver, and I always learn something. I can listen to Collinsworth. I can always learn something, even when I think – I can't. And yet, boy, people hated Tim McCarver mm-hmm. for decades, and I hear a lot of the same pushback on Collinsworth, but I think I think he's one of the best and I think he's he's he he can relate to the fan and he gives you the inside player perspective really well. Growing up, I love watching Kenny Anderson and Collinsworth. He was great on great wide receiver, great analyst as well. We know in these parts in particular why people have a chip on their shoulder towards Collinsworth or have a little beef it's because of the whole Super Bowl Forty Nine. Like I looked Tom Brady in the eye, and you know, pe- pe- oh, okay. a little, there's a little extra insensitivity around. Okay. In, in in New England, regionally, we'll say. That said, he's great. He's honest. He he knows. He's forgotten more about football in forty eight hours than most everybody else knows. Period. All right. Well, we're, now we're going to hear from his partner, and Al I'd Michaels. Also, and I also real real quick. Sure. I don't think. I don't think. I'm I'm glad he brought up the nineteen and zero thing because. It's obviously not for the team. It's not for Bill Belichick. It's not for Tom Brady or Julian Edelman or any of them to entertain the thought. That's for us, the fans. It's a, it's a treat for us to be able to play not only now in the, in the time when all the teams are 19 and 0, it's fun to just imagine what if, and he's, and he's also right in saying, well, sure. I'd be nuts to say if I'm to go to the Super Bowl and have a chance to call another undefeated season. That's a broadcaster's dream, and as a fan, that should be your dream as well to see your team go undefeated. I love that he went there, and I think uh, I think we fan. have the right to go there, and I understand why the team can't go there. Al Michaels also joined us for a couple minutes in Canton on the September 7th Chiefs-Pats opener. Back on the Cover 2 podcast with Don Banks. I'm joined now live from Canton with Al Michaels of NBC. Al, what do you believe we're in store for? on September 7th. Is there any way Chiefs-Pats does not live up to the billing? Oh, it'll live up to the billing, and then you have Roger Goodell coming to the game, too. So that'll really live up to the billing. So that's going to be, it's always an exciting night. You open up the season. We always open up in the home of the Super Bowl champions. You have the ceremony, the whole thing. The banners come down. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a scene. It's going to be great. You know, you've got Tom Brady going into his fifth decade of life. You've got the Patriots, who are the, clearly the overwhelming favorite right now, at least in the in the future book, to win the Super Bowl. Great team last year. They seem to be even better this season. So you can't miss. I mean, it's a can't-miss game. Kansas City comes in, you know, a, a team that's done exceptionally well over the past couple of years, trying to get over that hump with Andy Reid and all the rest. So uh, 
it's, it's going to be a, a wild open. I'm looking forward to it. You know, as much as it sounds ridiculous to talk 16-0 and 0 and hear that chatter and almost a dream team for, for real, if ever it was not ridiculous, it might be this year to at least muse about the possibility of a perfect season. Well, only because, as you know, I mean, they've gotten better. Uh, but, I mean, to me... It would be unbelievable to go 16 and 0. Now, you know, they they pulled it off once before, and then obviously lost in the Super Bowl. But I mean, every week you've got to ratchet it up, and there are so many crazy things that happen in football. And you've been around a long time, Don. You know that you know you you it's, it's the bounce of the ball at the end of the game. It's a penalty. It's whatever it is. So to go 16 and 0, not only do you have to be good, you have to be pretty lucky too. And, and and to pull it off, I mean, it would be an, an unbelievable accomplishment as it was a few years ago. So. I can understand why, you know, Belichick and all those other guys, what are they supposed to say? They have you know, to. You know, yeah. they, they've got to say, hey, what are we supposed to do? You know, we haven't even started yet. We're 0-0, and now you've got us winning 16 games, and it's just everybody's going to come in and lay down for them. That's not the case. So I'd be astonished if any team went 16-0. Al Michaels of NBC, he's right. I mean, Succinctly you, put. You cannot plan on such a thing. It's absurd. They could. It's conceivable. They could lose their opener, and there goes that preseason storyline of seven weeks out the window, and we all look like idiots. One, we've looked like idiots plenty of times before. We'll get over it. We'll shake it off. We'll forget we ever said it. And two, um, it is it is at least the time to talk about this. Now, sure. I understand if they get to 8 no, we're going to talk about it ad nauseum then, but on paper, this team got better, and I think I think what I liked what both of them said, you know, they acknowledge it's there. They acknowledge it's a long shot, but wouldn't it be fun? That's basically their their you know, their take. Wouldn't it be fun? Absolutely. Remember, 2015 Patriots were 10 and 0, and the talk, the heat cranked up. The talk was nonstop. The chatter just insufferable. And then, of course, the wheels can come off. We all see you're just a quick, uh, innocuous rollout away from somebody popping a knee or. You know, a Jordy Nelson can just turn around in a preseason game. There goes the need. There goes the season. There go your perfect dreams. And as the Patriots demonstrated last year, 17-2 and two will get the job done. Yeah, it will. And um, so many other teams would die for all of these first-world football problems. There are, there's plenty to talk about other than the Patriots and their quest to go back-to-back for the second time in the Belichick era this preseason. One of them mm-hmm. is debuting tonight. And I want to get your take on this. Hard Knocks, the... Uh, the quintessential behind-the-scenes look that HBO puts together of an NFL training camp almost annually uh, starts tonight with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Mm-hmm. The first one they ever did was the, I want to say it was the 2001 Ravens. It was coming off the Ravens Super Bowl year. little trivia question. I'm actually in that one. I'm in Billick's office uh, when he gets word that Jamal Lewis's ACL is, is torn and— um, I was there at practice when it happened that day, and they cut they cut a little clip of me and Billick talking in his office. I really believe that that series, as a genre, peaked with Rex Ryan's year of "Let's go get a goddamn snack." That's I mean, one I, of the greatest NFL quotes ever. I really believe that it has not been appointment viewing since then. Although I'll admit, I was a goddamn snack. <laughs> there. You go. Thanks, Rex. How great! Was, how great was he that season? I forget. Was that before the stomach band lap lap it was. band? Or, that was before or, the okay. that was before the lap band. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hard knocks. Ravens. Cowboys. Chiefs. Cowboys. Eating a bunch of <laughs> cheeseburgers. <laughs> Bengals. Jets in 2010. Uh, skip. They skipped some years. Yeah, they did. They skipped 2011. Then it went Dolphins. Bengals with 2013. I believe that was the child please. 
No, I that was that was. I uh, did not watch that Bengals. That was Child Plays in two thousand nine. Two thousand twelve had that great moment where uh, Joe Philbin and all of his uh, human emotionlessness had to cut Chad Johnson after the right. alleged domestic assault incident. Right. Did you ever get a chance to interact with Joe Philbin? Talk to him. I've talked to Joe. Yeah, What's he, he was, like. Well, he made. He made the word bland look <laughs> exciting. He, basically, he was so he was so dry. And I I really think so much of the job is being able. Like to he's come. so dry. If he walks out the front door and the sun is out, he'll catch fire <laughs> or evaporate. Right. He he did not command the room, and I think that's a huge part of what a coach has to do in today's NFL. I, I'll say this: I just I watched last year mm-hmm. when I got around to it because I was interested in the whole Rams go back to L.A. I didn't find much there other than a dysfunctional football team and a team that I thought, wow, mm-hmm. the coaching does not look does not look NFL level. They weren't even really dysfunctional. They were just that they were disjointed. They, yeah. There was there was no cohesion. There was no emotion. There was no spark. And to me, once again, it starts head down. And after in the first episode, when you saw what a himbo Jared Goff came across right. as, and how. Jeff Fisher, I'm not going seven and nine. After that, I was done. You could have just punted on the rest of the season. When the highlight of your TV show, taking you behind the scenes of the day-to-day grind and and the preseason and preparation of a professional football team is a bunch of young, rich football players driving around golf carts on a California college campus playing Pokemon Go, delete your account. Yeah. We're done. We're good. It was... It was hard to watch. What was the player? It was uh, William. Was it Harris? He doesn't believe in dinosaurs. What was it? What was it? Or no, he believes in mermaids. Or <laughs> what was it? It was something absolutely out there, and they built right. like a half an episode. Mm-hmm. Carl Everett was, was the guy. That uh, Carl believe Everett didn't believe yeah, in dinosaurs. They called him Tyrannos- Tyrannosaurus Carl. Carl. But old Jurassic Carl on the Red Sox. He was amazing. But yeah, there was a guy on there. Uh, what these, was it? He, I, I'm blown away every time. Every time, and it seems to come up in sports I think it was more than anywhere else. People are creationists and they're like oh well you know i mean blake griffin is kyrie irving and now flat earthers and the creationists right. like oh yeah dinosaurs never existed but let's let's pay this guy 75 million dollars and trust him to help anchor our defense in the nfl i think it was william harris anyway yeah. was it was it mermaids i Maybe. i don't know i'll i'll google william harris Real and mermaids quick, Don, the 2015 season of hard knocks was reasonably entertaining it was will fork's first season in houston now one of two, and hey, career cheers and cold beers to Vince Wilfork on a hell of a run as a great football player. And a nice way to punch out, too, with a tailgate ad. Good for you. Way to just seamlessly keep it going. With, I mean, when you can brand it, when you have to put hashtag spawn on the end of your farewell tweet, that's pretty sharp. But that was the year we had Brian Cushing thrown up on the field. We had J.J. Uh, Watt just standing there catching one-arm passes from the jugs machine, just like looking awesome, box jumping and everything. It was it was a reasonable... And of course, Bill O'Brien, very sympathetic picture was painted of him as well because right. we never knew about his home life yes, and his, his, family. his sixth son. Yep. Um, I, that was compelling, but last year was an all-time low. I think this year... You, are you more hopeful for the Bucks? Very much so. Jameis Winston's going to be, I believe, just a total camera hog. 100%. I mean, if we get even 50% of what he gave to that classroom... Remember the the story in the off season about right. how, you know, needs his men to speak up and the women to pipe down or what? How? Excuse me, I am paraphrasing, but uh, I think he's going to be a total camera hog. This is a team I'm also interested in. We've spoken about this on the podcast, and I know we've got more to get into ranking the teams and where we think they'll finish. 
expectations are high for these bucks, so yeah. I think they come in with some hype and buzz. Too. Right. They, we don't. We're not saddled with that Rams team that seemed like the, the watching the Washington Generals get ready for their new Globetrotter season. You know, there was no enthusiasm. There was absolutely no anticipation for success. And now you look at a Bucks team that went nine and seven, really um, lost some close games, could have been in the playoffs last year. Really believes they're going to be there this year. Okay, I did look it up. It was William Hayes. William not Hayes, only, thank you. Not only. Does he believe dinosaurs are a hoax? He does believe in mermaids. So I had the story. I was just fumbling for the right order and the right name. Hopefully uh, he'll write children's books like Martellus Bennett, and then I'll be able to read them to my son one day, too. All right. Quick topics that we're going to hit uh, lightning round, Nick, because there's a lot going on this week already. I don't like any of the signs. Andrew Luck still hasn't thrown a football. Won't play in the preseason opener, clearly. There's no timetable, mm-hmm. and now you got Cam Newton, uh, both of them coming off his shoulder surgery, won't play in the preseason opener, has basically done nothing for four, five, seven days now. Mm-hmm. Those are two starting to be worrisome situations for Carolina and Indy because there is no plan B in either case. Yeah, I hate to say it, but right now in Indianapolis, Curtis Painter is not walking through that door. <laughs> Well, here's here's my question. Uh, they, is Colin Kaepernick? I wrote at least a month and a half ago mm-hmm. that the Colts made sense for Colin Kaepernick, mm-hmm. and here's why. They've got Scott Tolzien behind uh, Andrew Luck. Now, I like Scott Tolzien. I actually watched him when I was living in Madison, Wisconsin. He was mm-hmm. the starting quarterback for the Wisconsin Badgers. Took him to the Rose Bowl one year. However, he is, you know, he is a prototypical NFL backup. Yeah, if you buy Matt Moore on Amazon, Scott Tolzien is going to come up on the recommendation exactly. sidebar. Exactly. People also search for Scott Tolzien. So, what I'm thinking is, you know, if you're Indianapolis, you need a viable plan. We have seen a, a Colts season totally torpedoed by Peyton Manning's neck problem in 2011. Two and 14 resulted. We have we have seen another Colts season. Three years ago, two years ago, when Luck got hurt with bad ribs, torpedoed, mm-hmm. and they went 8-8 eight and eight after the big offseason buildup. I think, keep an eye out, this is just my hunch, keep an eye out that Kaepernick and the Colts could, could be a marriage if this Luck drama continues on the shoulder front. We can cross Miami off the list. Right. Baltimore's had opportunities aplenty, and I think that they have polled the fans enough. They've spoken about it. They've prayed on it. If, well, if Baltimore was going to sign him, I think they would have by now. I disagree. On This is a huge week for Ryan Mallett. And if Ryan Mallett, who's going to play almost the whole way mm-hmm. in the preseason opener. You have to let him. If Mallett goes out there and pees down his leg, they're going to be on the phone to somebody, especially if Flacco's back, which he went for a second opinion, if that's not responding quickly enough. That's why I don't think Kaepernick and Baltimore are completely done at this point because I think a lot this is a huge week for Ryan Mallett to prove that the nothing to see here folks move along the mm-hmm. Ravens don't need help at quarterback I also has to just make a head coach and a general manager so nervous to hear or just at least uncomfortable two to six weeks oh it could be nothing or it could be something and a six-week back injury with a, a quarterback is like a partial tear of the ACL you're just waiting for that right. to turn into something like that's like the whole like oh but dad the 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 campfire's not out uh, don't worry about it it'll put itself overnight you know out overnight let's go to sleep I mean you could wake up in the morning and they're you know 
half the forest could be gone. A season can be lost in mm-hmm. much less than six weeks. That's the crazy thing. I'll tell you what, with the talent that they have surrounding, talent, if you will, surrounding Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, uh, the window may have closed on them for a little while. I, I, I don't, Scott Tolzien to Philip Dorsett is not going to keep a lot of defensive coordinators up, up at, at night, up at night no, for no. the first couple of months of the season. If Andrew Luck is able to get himself healthy and back... And it all goes back to Grigson never invested when he had the chance in the offensive line. Like, your your quarterback, they've seen it in Seattle, the way poor Russell Wilson got dinged up behind that patchwork offensive line. They both have escapability. They both can chuck it, and, they're, and they, can, they can, you know, hit a dart 20, you know, hit a bullseye 20 yards away on the run. But if you don't give them the line, and this is the same thing that could happen to the Patriots this year. They're one or two. What's the problem with the 2017 Patriots? Nothing. And... Unless and until maybe somebody gets hurt on the offensive right. line, and then perhaps and then your we're talking about hurt. yeah, and then we're talking about somebody taking a biblical beating in an AFC championship game. Yeah, it is. You know, it's for a preseason week one. There are some storylines that are are bigger than normal in Carolina at quarterback, in in Baltimore at quarterback. Um, let's let's watch and see what happens in Indianapolis at quarterback. I think some teams could be back in that market. And I've continued to say I think that's where Kaepernick gets back in. Someone gets hurt or someone panics because they don't like what they have at number two. Here's a quarterback we haven't talked about at all on Cover 2 Podcast, but I can't close this show without getting to my favorite storyline or headline of the week. Johnny Menzel said he wants to get back in the game. Now, coaching perhaps and maybe at the college level and that makes sense I suppose because I think he's starting to wake up and smell the coffee and realize that he kicked away his NFL dreams forever but I love where he decided to say this he was at the international football betting conference in Costa Rica oh the old IFBC when he decided to say I would like to be a coach a molder of young men uh, someone who can you know shepherd them through a tough mm-hmm. time uh, a tough transition in their life um, at the at the college level. I think that is so tone deaf. It's spectacular in its tone deafness uh, to talk about being a coach mm-hmm. at the college level while you're at the International Football Betting Conference. A, a mentor and molder of young minds. Uh, as soon as I finish paying for my daughter to go through the Lindsay Lohan finishing school, I'll make sure that I send my boys <laughs> to the Johnny Manziel. College football clinic. Can you see the moms that are turning over their sons? Yes, I, I, I would love Coach Munzel to be in charge of my boy for the next four years. I would, yeah, I complete, complete trust that he's going to get him through and and take care of his best interests. Well, a lot of us said also, like, yeah, sure, I'll hear Coach Manziel when I hear President Trump. <laughs> right. Crazier things happen, Don. Good point. That said, he should just. Beg, he should work, beg, borrow, steal, and try as hard as he can. Keep clean. Get a third quarterback job someplace. Let me ask you this. What, do you think a Johnny Manziel could ever somehow sneak in to camp with the Cardinals? Could Bruce Arians somehow work this guy back into playing shape? We know that the, we can all hear the ticking yeah. of the biological clock on Carson Palmer, and they don't really seem to have... Anything you you didn't see Blaine Gabbert the other night. Eight for eight. The yeah, confident Blaine Gabbert led them down the field. It's out there in plain sight. It's plain and simple, Nick. He's the future. And there's still the 
exquisite dancer Drew Stanton, mm-hmm. uh, sideline dancer. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I remember the Saints kicked the tires um, a little bit. Uh, Sean Payton had Johnny in for a talk, and I thought that was a team that made sense because Drew Brees might be out of there after next year. So I thought they might invest and see if they can. Uh, they like renegades down there uh, in the bay- on they the bayou. Do. And Sean Payton has a little gambler in him, but that didn't happen. But anyway, the heading had to be, you can't make this up, Mm -mm. Johnny Manziel coaching, but announcing his intentions from the betting conference. I just love that. All right. We have had a a fairly interesting action-packed pod two, or uh, uh, cover two podcast today. Um, Tell us what you've got going. If anything, you want to pub the Nick Stevens Enterprise uh, Incorporated? Yep, you can hear me 3 to 7 Monday through Friday on 107.3 WAAF and at WAF.com and premiering this Friday on Facebook Live with my friend Mike from Pat's Propaganda. Pat Show, a weekly Facebook Live review of all things Pat's fan. Very cool, very cool. Well, Kevin Collins, our producer, thanks again for all those great sound effects. And for Don Banks, you've been listening to the Cover 2 podcast with Nick Stevens and Don Banks. We will be back next week and the guest we hope is Matt Hasselbeck of ESPN he has confirmed that he's going to be our guest next week we're signing off for now Nick I don't know if you know it but last Thursday was Tom Brady's 40th birthday I'm breaking that story talk later thank you for downloading the cover 2 podcast from patriots.com Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Tucks it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. It's diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown. And a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.